0: Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. Brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary.
1: Well, welcome to The Table, where we discuss issues of the connection between God and culture. And today we're going to discuss the issue of sexuality in general and talk about particularly issues of sexuality as they relate to the family. And I have... Uh, three experts with me, uh, two colleagues and, and someone who I've literally just met. So this is great. Uh, I have Debbie Wade and Chip Dickens and Gary Barnes and Gary and I actually go way back. Uh, Gary and I were uh, attended the same church for years together, served as fellow elders at Trinity Fellowship Church. Uh, in Richardson for many, many years, and uh, our kids grew up together, and so so this is kind of a treat to talk about family issues with Gary in, in a context in which we're talking about uh, families in the church and how to think about issues of sexuality. And I think to begin, uh, I'll just let each of you kind of introduce yourself by telling us uh, what you do professionally in terms of counseling so we can get oriented uh, to the – Expertise that you're bringing to us today. And Gary, I'll start with you
2: and we'll just roll around. The table. Thanks, Daryl. So, I am on faculty here at Dallas Seminary. This next month will be my 16th year of being here. Very good. Wow. And so, um, I love having that full time opportunity of being here. A part time, I have a private practice as a licensed psychologist. Working with marriage and families, Mm -hmm. and so um, that's also a day-to-day part-time experience. Now you did your training where Columbia in New New York. I I came uh, here Mm -hmm. to DTS and received my THM degree. Mm -hmm. Was in uh, the ministry as an assistant pastor at Trinity Fellowship for seven years, and then uh, realized after doing all that was happening and working with marriages and families that. Probably be a good idea to get some more training. So then went back to New York, where I'm from, and, and got my doctorate in psychology at Columbia. Very good. And Chip,
3: well, I'm in my tenth year, and uh, I think I'm one of the few guys on faculty that actually didn't go to DTS. But I'm glad uh, I'm glad I get to serve here now. So that's my full time job as well, and I uh, get to serve as the department chairman. So I get to work with. Uh, uh, great students and faculty like Gary and get to teach courses, and uh, and I teach kind of a wide variety of stuff, but have a particular interest in marriage and family. And so when I'm not here on campus, I uh, don't have a private practice, but uh, consult and do a lot of training and equipping in the area of marriage and family with churches. Great. And and your degree is? Yeah, I also have a, a degree in psychology, and I went to SMU, SMU uh, here okay. locally and did my master's and PhD there. Very good. Yeah. yeah. You're a big guy. You must have played sports. You <laughs> must did. have played sports. I did. Yeah. I was uh, I was a horse jockey. Uh-huh. No, I'm just kidding. I, was, uh, I, I played basketball for Kentucky really derby. big horses. You won the Kentucky Derby for really big horses. <laughs> really big horses, yeah. I played basketball. Oh, that's so, great. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that good. good.
1: I, could use, I I was a guard. I could use uh, someone yeah, like I, you in the post. We could have had a good pick and roll. That's exactly yeah. right. Very <laughs> good. Yeah. Debbie?
0: Um, I founded – act solutions in 1999 which stands for authentic christian therapeutic solutions and so i'm in private practice there i'm a licensed marriage and family therapist a licensed professional counselor and a certified sex therapist and so i predominantly work with couples Uh, Restoring marriages or enhancing intimacy, do quite a bit of recovery of addiction work, sexual Mm. addiction. And then get to work with individuals too, just wanting uh, to have healthy uh, sexual wholeness in their life. Um, I was raised in a Southern Baptist uh, preacher's family, and probably one of my greatest thrills was sitting with my father through a class here at DTS that was a human sexuality class. Oh. And uh, for us to do that together as uh, father and daughter was pretty amazing and brought silence to the room every once in a while, so it was kind of fun. <laughs> um, and I, my master's is from Hardin-Simmons, and then my bachelor was from uh, – Wayland Baptist University, so I have a lot of Baptists in me. <laughs> Very
1: good. All right. Well, that's great. Well, thank you all again for being here, and let me just uh, dive in. Chip, I'll start with you. Let's talk about uh, the biblical view of sexuality and how we should think about sexuality, uh, and uh, and maybe even uh, your take on
3: how the church has either handled or mishandled sexuality. Yeah. I,
0: yeah.
3: Yeah, that's probably even an easier place to start is uh, <laughs> w- what not to think about all this, okay. and uh, and I-, I can just say, even from my own experience, uh, this was just one of those topics that in Christian circles uh, we just it was just taboo. You just did not talk Shh, about. Don't talk. I know. Everybody, yeah. don't make any sudden <laughs> movements. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And it really was that way. And for for me especially, not having grown up in the church and uh, coming to Christ later as a young adult, uh, it, it was kind of strange to me because my assumption was that God and Scripture and uh, had all kinds of relevance to what was going on in my life, and I couldn't wait to figure out what does the church think about this. And uh, I heard nothing. I mean, yeah. I literally just would hear mm-hmm. nothing. I'd go to Sunday school classes. I'd listen to sermons. I'd ask people in the hallway, uh, <laughs> what do we think about this? And, uh, and everybody just kind of said, well, look, I'm kind of late for a thing. Uh, so it, it, the the message was really clear that uh, either A, uh, we don't have a biblical view on this, which concerned me. Or uh, it's just too uncomfortable for us to talk about. And uh, so that was kind of my takeaway early on, and then even professionally. I can tell you, uh, studying in a a secular environment, learning how to deal with issues that families come up with, even in that environment, so a totally non-Christian environment, uh, it was difficult uh, to, even in normal classes, to say, okay, what are families, uh, what are they really wrestling with about this issue of sexuality? And so I it, that made me feel a little bit better that it wasn't just a church that didn't have a view on it and felt awkward and uncomfortable talking about it but even in a totally secular environment it was uh, there wasn't a healthy conversation going on there either and uh, so I think that's probably one of the things that uh, I mean even if I even if we don't have like a real clear definition or real clarity about it but just engaging that conversation and getting it going I think in the Christian communities are really really powerful uh a uh, force for good. I mean, I, I I hope that'll be the case for my kids or our students that uh, they don't have those kind of awkward, silent places. Uh.
1: So, so we don't talk about it. So mm-hmm. now that we're
3: going to talk <laughs> about, it. We're talking about it, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what, yeah. What do we? What do, we what, well, what do you? What would you say? I, I, Where would you lead off? Yeah, I'd, I'd start off with sex is good. Okay, uh, sex is a good thing. Absolutely. It is. Uh, <laughs> jump in, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: That's just absolutely You're it's good. that. Yeah, yeah i it. I
3: heard an amen over in the corner. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, not only experientially is it good, mm-hmm. but it's it's a it's a good topic. I mean, it's a good idea. It's a good. Uh, I mean, it's God's uh, design. It's His idea. He authored it. And uh so it's a positive thing. And so even to get that conversation going in a Christian community, I think would be it'd be great for our first step to be that this is a positive, really rich uh experience between uh two people that really uh is an expression of God's heart. There's uh that, that sense of intimacy and closeness uh that we get to experience within the context of a uh, husband and wife that uh, really reflect some great uh, traits and great features about what God's uh, love for us is like, what His nature is like, and so uh, sex is a good thing. It's a positive thing, mm-hmm. and it's an it's an thing that it tells us a lot about who Jesus is, yeah, uh, and His relationship with the Father and the and the Spirit. So,
2: Gary, mm. you know, uh, Daryl, one of the things I'm really glad to report is now Dallas Theological Seminary. Has four separate courses on sexuality. Mm. Mm. And there's a lot of theology that uh, fuels each of these four courses. And Mm. so uh, we need to, we really need to kind of go back and say, okay, let's not just think of what do we need to know that's okay practice wise Mm -hmm. or not okay practice wise Mm -hmm. behind sexuality. But what's really the driving theology behind it all? Right. What's the big idea here? What's mm-hmm. going on? So, um, rather than take this, like we often do, this kind of protective approach, uh, we want to take a elevating approach. Mm-hmm. You know, let's let's not uh, only you know minimize it, but let's elevate it. Now we don't want to elevate it to the point that we're worshiping it because mm-hmm. that's not the point either. Right. right. But we tend to, you know, either go in the demonizing or or the deifying direction mm-hmm. here. And yeah. so, but we we really have unbelievable theology to elevate it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, if I was going to say what's my one favorite quote I've ever mm-hmm. read on a good theology about sexuality, it comes from Dan Allender, mm-hmm. and he said. You know, sex is really a window into the heart of God, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so uh, another way of saying it is: this is this is reflective. It it is our tangible way of learning something really great about God.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to something that both of you are saying that I want to zero in on, and that has to do with how. In one sense, precious sexuality yeah. is, mm-hmm. and, yeah. I, and I, I actually think that that's something that we're losing in the larger yes. culture today, and it's a very important point that's coming from what you're saying. It, 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 it's good. It's something that needs to be elevated. It's a window into who God is, and and that it, that elevation is part of what makes sexuality. Precious, which means that we need to treat it with a, mm. with a kind of respect, if I can say a certain way, yes. uh, that uh, that is important. Debbie, what would you add to to what these two gentlemen have said? I, I brought you in because I wanted to be sure we were gender balanced. Gender balanced, three on one. Okay, that? that's
3: what it you takes know. to be balanced. Exactly
1: right. Yeah,
0: one lady's worth three guys. Okay? She may still
3: have the advantage. That's exactly right.
0: You know, I, I just think that the Church has made some changes, and finally, the church is starting to talk about sex. And I think that is a good thing. And I you know, I just think from the the standpoint of us looking at God's design of our bodies and men and women, and that the message to be that when he said after he looked at creation and said it's it's not only good but it's absolutely good. Yeah, and which he's is my, not good right, enough. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know he, he just says it's absolutely good. Yeah. And so this permissive thing to us to enjoy our bodies and to embrace sexuality as a healthy and I, and I loved your word precious thing mm-hmm. because we hear about sex so much and all the distorted things about sex and how our culture has just so distorted, but to see sex back is a precious gift that God gave man and woman, not just for men to enjoy, Mm -hmm. but that he designed us as women to also enjoy sex. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not just a need for men and desire for men, but a need and desire for women as well. And then the context of how he designed it to be within marriage. And, um, you know, I think of the metaphor that I've been taught about that God's love for us and his desire for intimacy with us, that the greatest metaphor really is the sexual uh, relationship between a husband and wife. That God wants to be penetrating in our lives, he wants to come into us and to know us and to be known by us. And he designed us to be receptive and responsive. To him, and I just think that's a beautiful metaphor of what is in the design of the intimacy in sex.
1: So you're alluding to here, of course, the idea that just as marriage is declared to be a one flesh relationship, the picture between Christ and the church is also uh, compared to marriage and the intimacy and Mm -hmm. the preciousness of that relationship. Yes, yes,
0: and sacredness of that.
1: Exactly. well, that that's a good start. I'm gonna. I, I guess the way I'm gonna start is is just think about in the context of a family. Uh, what advice would you have? And Debbie, I'm gonna start with you on this. Mm-hmm. What advice would you have for uh, parents who are raising children? Uh, and, and really, there are two issues I, I want you kind of to discuss in relationship okay. to each other. On the one hand, there's just how do you talk about sexuality and introduce it. When, when's the appropriate? Time, you know, when you get the question, you know, how do you do? I I remember there's a scene in Everybody Loves Raymond in which Raymond is uh, (laughs) asked the question by his nine year old daughter, you know, why are we here? Or how do we get here? And why are we here? And he thinks it's the sex talk, and actually, she want, really wants to know why we're here. It's, right. it's, a, it's a life meaning yeah. question, and it, it's a funny scene, yeah. but it, because he comes in all loaded with books and ready to, you know, to get into the details, and, and she, that's not where she's trying to go right. at all. Uh, and so, it, it illustrates the fact that sometimes parents think there's more to a child's question than there really is. And so, I'd like to deal with that on the one mm-hmm. hand, and then the other hand. deal with the question of how do you, um, in the midst of communicating the preciousness and the value, the elevation, and the goodness of what sex is to a child, how do you help them cope with the world that they're living in, which in many contexts is, if I can say it this way, sexually saturated? Absolutely. And so um, how do we we balance those two things? Mm.
0: Okay. Let let me start by giving just – a bit of my my personal experience. My parents, uh, probably one of the things I'm most grateful for with them, besides teaching me of who Christ is and giving me life learning lessons all my life of a relationship with Christ, they started with my older sister and me at an early age. Uh, We were six and eight when they began talking to us very directly. About sex. So they, the took book the they took the initiative? They took the initiative when we were six and eight. Um, they both knew they wanted it different for their children than what it was for them because they came into marriage so naively about mm-hmm. sex and believed it was such a beautiful thing. So they started with a book when we were young and then just, not, it wasn't like a one time talk. Mm-hmm. They allowed that then to be the doorway of all other questions that we could come to them and ask them. And so those conversations, I do believe, need to start early. And I think they can even start earlier than six and eight, Mm. just about the messages to a child when you're changing diapers, that God Mm. made your body and He designed it good, Mm -hmm. you know, and He designed you as a little boy and He designed you as a little girl, Mm. and ways to be able to say, and He designed you with a special purpose. So I think those conversations need to start early, Mm -hmm. and then I think a, a, a crucial thing is what we are teaching as parents to our kids also needs to be demonstrated, Hmm. that uh, a husband and wife believes that sex is really good between them. Mm -hmm. I knew that the relationship that my parents had I wanted. Mm -hmm. And so watching them and engaging, and of course, it was appropriate affection and attention, but Mm -hmm. I knew the fun that they had, that when it came to fighting pressures in my teen years and and what I saw friends being pressured to do, I knew I wanted what my parents had. Mm -hmm. And everything else seemed less than. And so I think parents knowing that they are the most significant sexual educator in their children's lives. And so being able to take advantage of that and start those conversations early. And I think so many parents are afraid to start the conversations fearing that if we give our child information, then they'll be so curious and Mm -hmm. want to go explore when research shows just the opposite, that the ones that seem to be the most curious and take risky behaviors are kids
4: who haven't been told or haven't been taught. This episode is brought to you by The Truce Podcast.
1: So when a parent abdicates if I can say it this way the responsibility to communicate the these ideas to their children they really are leaving a vacuum that is that that everything in rushes in and fills is that yes. is that right
0: Yes and it leaves this huge vacuum in this void for all the distorted messages to come in. And so I think it's so important for parents to just, I mean, take that privilege and uh, with honor that they get to be the sex educators to the kids and to be confident in what they're getting to share. Okay, so they've got to believe that it's a good thing in order to teach that it's a good thing.
1: Now, i got a rush of questions coming <laughs> at me, that, that, but I want to make sure we get around the table. So I'm going to put this one out on the table and save it and say I'm going to come back to it. And it's, it, it's this. What about in single-parent homes where the dynamics of a model either don't exist or the dynamics have been um, – been impacted in, to some degree negatively. I, I want to come back to that one because okay. I, because we have more single parent families that we, yes. we deal with on a regular basis. So so that one that mm-hmm. put the save button. We're coming back okay. to that question, but uh, Chip, what would you say in terms of advice? To families? Well,
3: what I love uh, what Deb shared there was that it's not the sex talk. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a sex conversation that's mm-hmm. going to happen over the years and. And uh, that just feels so much more healthy because it's a conversation that happens within the context of a relationship where you get to see things and mm-hmm. there's interactions. It's not just a, it's not a drive-by data dump, you know. Mm-hmm. And hey, hopefully <laughs> <laughs> a gorilla attack. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the pieces to the puzzle. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. Uh, figured this out. I'm glad. Yeah. That, I'm glad that's over with. Yeah. You know, it's part yeah. of the. And it's just like we would talk with our kids about anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like how we would talk with them about money. You know, I don't. I don't sit down with my kids kids uh, and explain to them how much we owe on the mortgage or what we're doing on our financial. But but I am talking to them about, you know, early on about how do you save and what do we spend money on and what's God's view about money. And it's an ongoing conversation. Mm-hmm. It just makes sense that this really, really critical part of what it means to be a, uh, a Christ follower mm-hmm. and what it means to be human that we'd have this conver- ongoing yes. conversation with our kids. Yes. You know, kind of a time-released appropriate moments as they can handle different information. And it just seems to me that that's the context where wisdom really develops. And I love, Deb, too, kind of the – the uh, it, it's not just informing them, it's equipping them to be able to interact with all of those other competing messages. Because you, you're right, Daryl, there's so many uh, – it, it is saturated. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be able to, to discern, okay, what what's on Mark, what's not on Mark, or uh, how do I deal with all that stuff, you can just get bombarded and overwhelmed with it where uh, – uh, you, you just fall uh, really kind of paralyzed uh, to decide exactly how am I going to engage with this stuff as mm. a teenager mm. or as mm-hmm. a young adult because uh, the messages are just overwhelming.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd like to uh, give an example uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> that it stresses the significance of not just approaching it from the talk mm-hmm. I- uh, because it it makes me flash back to when I was. Twelve years old this time of the year. We're driving from Dallas to my Aunt Betty's house at night, just me and Dad. And in the dark in the car, the talk happened from Dallas to Memphis. And then that was it.
0: That was it. it. I was set for life. (laughs) (laughs) And I didn't need
2: it before then either. It was that was the moment in time. See. So, um, yeah, Debbie's model with her parents and what she's describing uh, is um, Chip's word, the conversation rather Mm -hmm. than the talk. Boy, if if we can just sell that concept Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. there. And then I would add to it that parents would also not see it as this dreaded thing. But this awesome thing mm-hmm. that they get to participate it's part in. part of the elevation, yeah. because and and I think the thing that makes us feel dr- you know dread about it is we're we're so fearful for, for good reasons mm-hmm. of how this can get derailed for yeah. our kids because mm-hmm. it can mm-hmm. easily you know it, this is a very you know vulnerable thing
4: mm-hmm. yeah,
2: even though it's precious. Uh, and so I think we, we kind of default to this too narrow of an approach, and it's a protective approach, mm-hmm. and it's a negative approach. Mm-hmm. And, and what our kids tend to hear from us is, don't do it. Mm-hmm. And that's the takeaway. Mm-hmm. And it's a kind of a narrow, negative, protective approach. Mm-hmm. Whereas if we could say, wow, I have this unbelievable opportunity to help prepare. For an unbelievable right. earthly experience, that's going to be an unbelievable heavenly lesson for you. Mm-hmm. And we're going to just have this in graduated conversations all through mm-hmm. your life. So
1: it's a completely uh, complete reframing of the way yeah. in which the conversation is taking place. Mm-hmm. We're moving from a talk to a conversation. We're moving from a negative message that sends the message this is this is bad or unhealthy or destructive, which of course in certain cases it can be, to to know in if you think about this in its proper context, this is this is a really significant and positive and beautiful thing that mm-hmm. we're dealing with.
0: Instead of approaching it with anxiety, to have this in excited anticipation about these opportunities to come, you know, um, much like what it says in Deuteronomy, where it's speaking of, you know – talk of these things when you're walking on the road and when you're sitting and when you're lying down of looking for these neat opportunities with your kids and being excited with it uh, you know anticipating the questions or anticipating the conversations instead of being anxious about them so
1: we're talking about you know what that, that passage of course is dealing with all the issues of life and how God is wrapped oh, up in right. all of it so hmm. uh, you know so we <laughs> you know, the other, the pic- other mm-hmm. picture is well God's wrapped up in all of this but this over here is right. Right. <laughs> something else so <laughs> oh, uh, great. Okay. Well, that's that's the first scenario I wanted to go through. Here's the second scenario I want to go through. Let's let's go back and say now, what do we do when we're in a situation where we're dealing with a single parent family and and perhaps some uh, dysfunction in the background that's impacting the what what it is that the children
2: see. Okay. And yeah, who wants to take well, the balls, I'll on, I'll start balls off on the ground? Just on one one dimension of that <laughs> that I want to start off with is. Um, just the fact that you would be working with a, with a one-parent situation uh, makes it very possible that there's personal unresolved things for that one parent. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, there, there's a likelihood for shame and guilt that's still carried over. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the big message that would be great for kids is to see from your own life how God can redeem any bad situation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's not any situation outside of God's reach that he can't come in, touch it, and redeem it. And so for for the single parent to really feel God's grace in their life, the redemptive work of God in their life, that's going to model a a new kind of a freedom Mm. for them. That they're going to be able to pass on this concept of God's grace in our lives, in your life as a growing child, and um, so that that would be what I would say is is a first key step in the process so that you would, as a single parent, you would experience God's freedom from His redemptive work in your life, no matter what the situation. And, and I would suspect that it's important
1: for the parent to have the view of. There may be issues in my own life, but helping to frame how my child is going to experience this and hopefully mm-hmm. in, a, in a in in a positive way is is an op- we've used the word opportunity mm-hmm. is an opportunity to uh, to prevent a, a in
3: effect a repeat that's uh, right um, yeah, and going through the same kind of experience. You know, I'm thinking for so many single parents out there where they are uh, – I mean, it's hard enough with two parents mm-hmm. To, mm-hmm. to manage everything. And uh, just struggling all the time with this feeling like I am in way over my head and uh, feeling under-resourced or just incompetent. And it just takes so much courage, I think, hmm. for – uh, any parent, but particularly for single parents, to say, I'm going to jump in and initiate this conversation, even though I know that probably the moment out of the gate, uh, I'm not going to be able to control where it goes, or I'm not going to be able to kind of have all the answers, and uh, it, I, it just takes an, an amazing amount of courage, I think, and faith to for any parent to really lead this conversation, even when... You don't ha- you're not the expert you know it's not like you can call Deb and have her come over and have the conversation mm-hmm. God's appointed you to do it and uh, to it's it's just an amazing thing so one of the things I would encourage single parents to do is to not wait until they feel like they have mastered all the content of everything because that's right. never gonna happen. happen there's just yeah there's not enough bandwidth for you to master everything before you, <laughs> know, you know, then we'll have that conversation yeah. so it's that idea of kind of jumping in the river uh, even though the the boat's Quite not built all the way yet, mm-hmm. and uh, and you do have to have that uh, grace kind of environment towards yourself, even as you have mm-hmm. that conversation with your kids. But it just takes a lot of courage. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of courage to, to jump out and start doing that before before you have it all uh, mapped out and figured out for your kids, for sure. Mm-hmm. Debbie
0: and Daryl, I think so much what keeps us or keep someone from sharing is is the sexual shame maybe that they still carry? And how important that is to work through that uh, for yourself before introducing the topic to your kids so that you're not bringing the shame into it. But also knowing that I think kids love honesty and authenticity. Mm -hmm. And so when a parent is able to say, I've not done it perfect, or things haven't been um, always great for me or good for me, but I trust in the redemptive power of of God, and here's where he has restored and what he's redeemed and what he's still doing in my life. And so that they know that they can be honest with their children, that they may have made mistakes. mistakes, but also being able to say, I want to equip you to do it differently. And I think there's three words that are real important for parents to think about when they're teaching kids and, and for single parents to go, I, I, I want to be able to educate my children. I don't want them to be ignorant. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm going to equip them with some things so that they feel empowered to stand up against some things. Mm-hmm. And as a, a single parent recognizing that I need to be educated mm-hmm. and so choosing to have the resources uh, seeking those out, and, and I need to be equipped in my singleness, there's going to be some things I'm still going to be challenged with sexually, mm-hmm. and I want to feel empowered. And so I think if a single person uh, – a single parent can feel educated, equipped, and empowered, then they feel they can educate, equip, and empower their child. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, when, when we're thinking about this, and the, obviously the, the, another question that comes alongside of it is, I've got one parent, obviously I have either a mother or a dad. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, in some cases, in some families, it may be a relative, um, and and so d- should should the parent seek out someone of another gender to help their child with this area? I mean, how do you how do you how do you fill the gap? Is actually what I'm asking. Yeah. Um, what what advice do you have in that regard for single parents?
0: Well, first, I would say if it's a mother and a son. Still, she starts the foundational conversations because what we want to say to kids is this is not a topic that's so shameful we can't talk about or that I'm too embarrassed to talk about it. Mm -hmm. I want to have this conversation with you back to what Gary was saying earlier. I have this great precious gift Mm -hmm. that I I want to teach you about that God gave us. So I think to, to start the foundational conversations that mothers have those with sons. Fathers have those with daughters. And then being able to say, I realize because I'm you're a boy and I'm not, Mm -hmm. you know, that you may want to talk to a a man about this. And that is where I think it's important, whether it's a a close uncle or a healthy grandfather or a youth pastor or a, a preacher or a DTS professors that you trust (laughs) that your son knows to to be able to provide that, and or uh, sometimes it is a counselor Mm -hmm. to say, "I just I want you to be equipped, and I'm going to provide that for you." If you don't feel comfortable talking to me, but I think again, if those conversations are started early, Mm -hmm. the more comfortable the child will feel, regardless if it's uh, a son and a mother or a daughter and a father.
2: Any other? Yeah. You know, I, I think in addition to what Debbie's pointing out is, there's an an amazing way that the body of Christ can um, supplement just by, uh, let's say, the single mom and a son, just by having male role models. Just uh, it's not necessarily the talk or the conversation. But uh, it would just be involving uh, kids with older guys uh, who are doing guy things, mm-hmm. and the same know? thing for girls. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, uh, and so uh, it's a way of us just uh, being a body, a mm-hmm. community right. with
3: one another. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful how the body of Christ—not just as an idea, but but real tangibly that God can position and utilize them in people's lives where there are those gaps, mm. and uh, to be open to that, to be receptive to it, to, even as a single parent to expect that and hope that and anticipate that happening as you're in a community where Where folks can fill in those gaps. Okay, well, that gets us started
1: on kind of uh, dealing with the child. Let me, I guess we're gonna move with the child through life. Uh, The child hits teenage years, okay? Obviously, everything changes. Um, (laughs) uh, Everything. (laughs) And so so now you're not speaking so theoretically about things anymore. Now Mm -hmm. we're in the middle of. Choices and pressures and uh, and hormones and you know and, and identity. I mean, there's so much swimming around. Uh, uh, what advice do you have to parents with with teenagers? Hopefully, they've gotten the process started, or maybe they haven't. Maybe they realize, "Ooh, I'm in trouble. Um, we're we're on the edge here." Um, what advice do you give to to parents with teenagers?
2: Uh, I have a word from uh, Kathy, my wife. We were having this conversation this morning hmm. earlier, and uh, she she really highlighted a couple of key things that I, I think would be good right from the start for parents to think about as they're working with teenage stage, and that is, don't think of what you do as a formula. Mm-hmm. And if I just get the formula perfect, then I'll get the perfect outcome mm-hmm. with my kids. Now. It's kind of the distinction between you do want to be a good steward Mm -hmm. with that stage of life, Mm -hmm. but don't think of it as the goal of success. Okay. And so what we want is uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and, and do my part, but not with the expectation or the pressure. Of if I don't do this right, it's not going to end up right. Or if I do it right, it will end up. And right. And so, by
1: a formula, you mean having a a program that you think you have to put together, or a checklist that you go through to make whatever
2: sure your formula is. Okay. I mean, it could look like a lot of different things. Right, right. Uh, but we have to realize that our, you know our teenage sons and daughters are individuals, and they they will have their spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you could have the perfect formula and their spiritual journey is not going to go where you had in mind for it to go.
0: Join us next week for part two of The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth, love well.